Welcome to the Thrive Church weekly message. We hope you enjoy this podcast and we pray that it blesses you. For any information on this sermon or our other resources, visit thrivechurch.co.nz. So good. Hey, massive welcome uh, to yeah to everyone here. Uh, really good to see you and. Man, well, this, this, this church is awesome, like full of incredible people and just like we are the church, you are the church, We're not a, it's not just a service on a Sunday, you bring the church when you come along and so it's just so cool, every row jam packed with amazing people in this building, so just look down the row and just say, man, you're awesome, oh, so good, I feel it, I feel your general awesomeness, it's so good. Yeah, um, I was just thinking, Lynn said, awesome communicator, and I know that I'm so much a work in progress, but I know God has done such a kind of incredible work, actually, a supernatural work. If you didn't, um, if you heard me preach uh, 10 years ago, oh, it was, I hated it, actually. It was so, it was just a challenge for me. I, um, I knew I was called to be a pastor, and I was youth pastoring at the time, but I would, uh, <laughs> and I would have my little A4, you know, written out note page, and I would just read line for line, and I just, I was, yeah, I didn't like being in front of people, but at the same time, I was praying. I was like, God, if there's any dormant talents out there, I just pray, I, I'm a talent magnet. I need it. I need help, please, Jesus. Like, come on, these people, they have to put up with me, <laughs> hearing me. And I just remember this one Sunday, um, when I was asked to, to preach and everyone was like holding their breath like, oh my gosh, are we going to understand what he's saying today? Um, and there was just this shift. Like God just did something. He just leveled me up. And it was only by his grace that he did that. And he wants to take us into another level. He really does. Like he wants to, he doesn't want you to stay in the same place uh, that you have been for the last 10 years or five years or even last week. Like God's always doing a new thing. He's, he's, that's a part of the whole follow closer, like in Love Stronger this year, our, our series, our theme, but our follow closer is, is all about discipling. It's about walking with Christ and letting Christ actually speak into our now. Like being open, like I'm open, God. What are you saying into my life, into the challenges that are around my world right now? What are you saying? And God wants to come in and He wants to bring that that challenge and He wants to shape us so that we actually can progress as people. Like that's one of the fundamental emotional health health, um, requirement, health health requirements that we have is is progress. It's a basic... um, Yeah, a basic building block for life. And that's essentially the essence of what discipleship is. Progressing closer to him, progressing closer to others, progressing in in revelation of who the Father is in our lives. He just wants us to progress. He's all about progress. So our vision actually for for our church, if you don't know, is this. It's our, uh, our community full of the love and freedom of Christ, living in destiny, transforming our world. And that's our goal. Like That's what we want to see. We want to see our community, our church community, and our, our community, our greater community, actually impacted with 
lovers of Christ, with the love of Christ, you know? Like that's how His love is gonna get into the world and it's gonna come through us. And so this discipleship series is actually, it's had the goal of our vision in in getting to the world in mind. And it's, it's about empowering us as we do life. And so this morning, I'm just going to touch on a few of the topics that we've uh, looked into over the last five series, uh, yeah, five weeks or four weeks, and um, just speak once again from the life of David. And so we're just going to jump into um, to 2 Samuel 23. And these are the last words of David. I mean, this is what he's summarizing his life uh, with. And so, man, just listen into his heart and his con- the conclusion of his life. It says this, These are the last words of David, the inspired utterance of David, son of Jesse, the utterance of the man exalted by the Most High, the man anointed by the God of Jacob, the hero of Israel's song. The Spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. The God of Israel spoke. The rock of Israel said to me, when one rules over people in righteousness, when he rules in the fear of God, he is like the light of morning at sunrise on a cloudless morning, like the brightness after rain that brings grass from the earth. Like these are incredibly rich Rich words, and they are laced with this incredible kind of relationship that David had with the father. Because David lived a big life, didn't he? He had so much going on. You look at his life, and he took down Goliath, and he ran from Saul, and he had uh, he took, brought the ark back into Jerusalem, and he and he uh, he ruled. He ended up as a king, and he was actually a personality that was larger than life. But he never let go of the reality that he was just a man. No matter how big he was, no how incredible, he was just a man. His life was always about something so much bigger, something so so much uh, stronger and greater than himself. And he saw himself essentially as a citizen of a greater kingdom, and that was heaven's kingdom. And the last verse, he says, If my house were not right with God, surely he would not have made um, with me an everlasting covenant, arranged, secured in every part. Surely he would not bring into fruition my salvation and grant me my every desire. I mean, what a summary. Like, that's an incredible, you know, and and do you know, we can actually have last words like that. That's not just for David, but we can actually live a life that is full of the promises of God flowing through our lives, full of the intentionality of heaven flowing through our lives if we live a life that is connected to the Father's voice. That is, that is a good, good word. And so David is acknowledging the secret of his strength and that the pathways to his victories, they were arranged and they were made secure because of this covenant relationship with the King of Kings. And he wrote um, again, actually, as an old man, Psalm 37, he said this, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carried out their when they carry out their wicked schemes. See, David, in the process of becoming a king, he had become a master of his responses when life looks ugly. 
when things are stacked against him, when, when pressure's coming against him, and when he sees wicked schemes mounting against him, he was just like, wait patiently before the Lord. He said, do not fret when people succeed in their ways. I want to ask you a question this morning. How do you respond when the bad guys win? How do you process that? And how do you respond when you see something completely unjust in your life and yet it actually becomes like a catapult for someone else? (laughs) You know, someone else is actually living on the cool thing that you did and you didn't actually, your name wasn't even attached to it. It's like, what the, that's not fair. They got all the, they got all the glory. They're wicked schemes, he said. How do we respond when the bad guys win? I want to take you back to 1981 and I I remember uh, this cricket game quite clearly, and I I may have even watched it live with my dad, uh, because we just watched all the one-day internationals at that time, and I still remember as a six-year-old watching this, uh, the famous Australian underarm bowl. I know, right? It still hurts just a little bit. Sorry, Kimberly. Yeah, we love you. You weren't a part of this, I know. <laughs> so New Zealand needed, you know, just if you don't know what's cricket, I only play tennis. Uh, if, um, yeah, New Zealand needed six runs, I think it was to win or to draw anyway, with one, more, one ball remaining. It might have been four runs to draw, six runs to win. Let's just say that because it makes the story sound better. Um, and it would have been so easy too, just one, you know, one ball, like it's easy to smash the Aussies for sixes, and as we have proven time and time and again. Um, but the Australian cricket uh, skipper, he, uh, Greg Chappell was his name, he instructed the bowler, who was his younger brother, Trevor. It was like, sure thing, uh, Greg. Yeah, whatever, mate. Uh, <laughs> yeah, big brother. Thanks. Thanks for that. Uh, and, and, and to deliver this ball underarm, and, and it, was a, it was the bid to prevent uh, the New Zealand batsman um, from having any chance of hitting a six, and he did that, and the bad guys won. Boo. (laughs) How do we respond when we do what's right and we get penalised? This may have happened to you. This is not someone, I'm not looking at anyone or anyone in this room when I'm going to say this, but this may have happened to you when someone you know brags to you about how they do heaps of cash jobs under the table, and they're cheating on their taxes. <laughs> and maybe their house is fitted out with all the, the finest furniture and appliances. And they've got some new wheels and all the latest stuff. And to top it off, they just went uh, to Hawaii last year on holiday. Not that if you went to Hawaii, that's a bad thing. I'm just saying. But like you're looking at them and you're like going... Hmm. And you're honest, and you pay your taxes, and you give faithfully to, to the church, um, but your furniture would probably be rejected by the Salvation Army, let's just be real, and um, your annual holiday uh, was a camping trip to your parents' backyard. It's, it's not pretty. Or... You're single and you're trying to follow the Lord and stay pure and you only want to date Christians, um, but your last date was last century when you were four years old and it happened in a kindergarten. (laughs) And the person next door, though, they have like no moral compass and I've got people looking like good looking people lining up and, and, and you're like, hmm, it's slightly irritating when life is not fair. And if you're feeling like that today, David... He can relate 
to your story. Because he had a boss. His boss was crazy. Like David would walk in the room and his boss would literally throw a spear at him to kill him. And so he spends years running from his boss and he hadn't actually done anything wrong. Saul has been this complete nutcase and trying to kill him for no reason at all. And, and David would have run through these years like with this burning question of like, why me? What, what did I do wrong? Why is this bad guy still king? And I've been like called to be, I've been anointed, you know, it's been on my life and I know that that's in the future. And here I am like hiding in a cave right now and I'm like, I'm hiding and I should be out living my life. But then when he's in this cave, there's this, suddenly someone else comes into the cave and he's like, who's that? Who, what's happening? And it looks like there's this opportunity for David to become king after all in this, in this moment, because the person who walks into the cave is actually King Saul. And we're going to pick it up in 1 Samuel 24. It says there, a cave was there and Saul went in to relieve himself. Just take a moment. Yep. David and his men were far back in the cave, and his men said, This is the day. We do have a PowerPoint for this as well. The Lord spoke of when he said to you, I'll give you your enemy into your hands, for you will deal with uh, as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. Then David went out to the, into the cave and, and called out to Saul, My Lord, the King. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say, David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in this cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hands upon the, uh, my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. Wow, what an opportunity to bring justice. What an opportunity to get what he wants. David could have actually literally just gone and stabbed Saul in the back with the crowd in full support. You know, like, do it, do it, do it, do it. But he, he refused to bow to popular opinion. David is like, no. And he even said, even though it looks like the Lord had delivered Saul into my hands... This was not an opportunity that David saw uh, for him to take uh, the judgment seat over Saul's life. This was not an opportunity for him to judge Saul's destiny, but an opportunity for David to reveal God's kingdom, God's heart of mercy and honour towards Saul as the appointed king. See, in the, in the king's kingdom, in the father's kingdom, mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. No matter what it looks like, mercy triumphs over judgment. So David put the goal of honouring the Father's kingdom before his preference of personal justice. I will not touch the Lord's anointed. See, what is sacred to David is sacred to the Father. 
And David revealed the Father's kingdom in this moment. Remember David's last words, the the rock of Israel said to me, when one rules over people in righteousness, when he rules in the fear of God, he is like the light of morning at sunrise on a cloudless morning. See, David's life story shows us that the fear of the Lord is the essential ingredient for our preparation into kingship. Like he, he's got your kingship, your queenship in mind. He is fashioning us for a great call and a great purpose in life. But David's like, no, respecting the Lord, being in awe of Him, considering His will above my will, considering His justice above my justice, considering the, the greatness of our God. I will, I will honour Him in this moment. And, and he wrote, his son wrote in uh, Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. It's the beginning of all wisdom. And the word fear in Hebrew means fear. <laughs> it's no, there's no shortcuts for this. This is actually like, God, you are massive. You are incredible. You are majestic. You are the Lord. You hold this earth in the palm of your hands and I'm gonna surrender my life to your Lordship. I'm gonna surrender my situation, my desire for justice, the injustice that's around me, the not fear, the why me. I'm gonna surrender that to you because you're bigger. You're incredible. I want to respect you with my challenges and my opportunities. I want to put you first every day of my life. It says here that the fear of the Lord is the beginning and there are no shortcuts to wisdom in the Father's kingdom. And He he wants to lavish wisdom on your life like He wants to lavish love. He wants to give you opportunities and, and and, and pathways to greater governance of your life and the lives of others, but He won't give to you what you're not responsible to carry. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. But that's that's good news, all right? There's good news here. That's good. good. David Eldridge um, wrote a book, incredible book, called Fathered Fathered by God. And I want to just encourage every guy... Um, to read that book. It uh, just contextualizes the journey of a man's life, and it's a fantastic um, read. And I'm just going to just touch on the six stages of a man's life in summary of uh, David and in this series um, as we, as we kind of wrap up this series. Um, he says that the six stages uh, of a man's life, the, the sonship or daughtership, there's a cowboy or cowgirl, there's a warrior, there's a lover stage, there's a king's or queen's stage, and a stage of a sage. And I'm going to go through each one of that. But essentially, David says that all of us has to go through these steps to become whole and holy people. And these stages, the transition to a next stage, requires a qualification of the testing of our character to be able to transition to that next level of capacity that we're called to carry with our lives. Because God is wanting us to rule and reign and to become kings and queens. But like I said, He won't give us what we're not ready to handle. So the first stage is 
the son or daughter stage. This is the beginning of our of our journey in life in the natural, but in the spirit as well. When we're born again, it's like we're born into a family where there's a good, good father over our lives. And this is as a child where we learned that we are a loved one, that we are totally delighted in by our father. And this actually should happen in our natural lives and because our identity as sons and daughters is essential for our development. Our father tells us who we are and we see how valuable we are in the value that he gives us. We're reflecting our value to the value he reflects to us. And the problem is, is that if our parents are broken, they're like broken mirrors reflecting to us a distorted image of who we are. And if we don't know who we are, then we have no foundation to build a life from. And if you've had distortions around your identity, then it's, it's largely because you've never actually been shown how valuable you are, how precious you are how incredible you are, and that you are a part of a family. Like, he's, I'm the vine and you're the branches. There's, there's this deep connection. You're grafted in to family. And today, number one, son or daughter, that could be just enough for where you're at in your life. You're like, wow, I just, I, I, want, to, I want to be known. I want to be known by a loving father. And that is the, the essence is, for that sonship and daughtership is that we are loved and that we are valuable ones. The next stage is the cowboy. Yeehaw! Or the cowgirl. Hey, Simone. Uh, <laughs> where young people, this is where young people uh, must experience adventure and danger. And David took down Goliath as a warrior, but as a teenager, as a young teenager, he spent years battling lions and bears, the Bible tells us. Well, a lion and a bear. Anyway, as a cowboy shepherd. He was out there testing his strength, discovering his giftings as a cowboy. And this is a great time. This is a time of experiencing who we are and testing the limitations of our abilities. And um, the problem is, is that many people in life actually never move beyond the cowboy stage. And I met up with a a friend that I made uh, while I was flatting 22 years ago uh, last year, and he, um, he was the same guy that I had spent a year with 22 years later. He was stuck in alcohol. He had a massive beer belly. He had no moral compass. And he was still, as a 40-odd-year-old, just still experimenting with life. He'd never been caused by life, he never had the opportunity. Uh, well, he had opportunity, but he'd never taken a hold of the opportunity to love greatly. He had just stagnated in this stage as a cowboy. And it was especially sad because when I was with him, we'd gone occasionally to church and he'd been baptized. And, but he'd just not been able to graft into the father's identity over his life. And he was stuck as a cowboy. And so the key for a, a cowboy is that they need to remain in a heart connection to the Father as a beloved son, or they will never receive the Father's wisdom. See, to transition from a cowboy, the cowboy must be humble and teachable. 
and this is the real key, with a desire to be initiated to the next stage by a father. They've got to be willing to be taught. They've got to be willing to actually say, I need somebody. I need the father's voice or a father figure in my life to help me become a man. See, without humility, a cowboy can never become a trusted warrior. They can never be trusted with much because they were just kind of messed around with what they have. And if a cowboy looks towards the role of a warrior before the goal of humility, he can never become trustworthy as a warrior. He must look towards uh, humility. So the cowboy's character goal is to gain humility because our capacity, a character, sorry, determines our capacity to go to the next level. The next stage is the warrior, and we've already talked a little bit about the warrior this morning um, with David, but I want you just to picture Aragorn from the Lord of the Rings. He was the ranger, you know, and he roamed the wilderness like a cowboy, but he became caused for a great purpose when he got connected to the fellowship of the rings. Does everyone know what I'm talking about? Lord of the Rings, yeah, come on. And he transitioned from this cowboy into a warrior because he discovered a cause. And he didn't just look at the cause, he engaged with the cause. He became connected to the cause. He stopped living for the weekends and he stopped just going, you know, turning up at work. He actually became empowered by this cause to, to later on become a king, didn't he? But he went, he became a warrior. So a cowboy becomes a warrior uh, in life. Often when they leave home or they uh, like they get caused and they go on mission, it's like, okay, I'm ready to own my life. I'm ready to own my lane. And a warrior knows also that they are a part of a greater cause than just their own life, that they're, they're living for something, they're called to be alive for something bigger than, than just themselves. Warriors also, they don't just pray their need to be active away. They, like David, they will suit up and take down Goliath. They'll run into the world and bring light into the darkness Warriors are ready for action. Come on. The lover, the next stage. At roughly the same time as the, uh, as the warrior, but hopefully not before, the, the man or woman that is learning uh, that life is a battle, the warrior must learn to fight for his beloved and become a lover, but still remaining a warrior for the rest of his life. See, if a guy actually transitions to a lover without becoming a warrior, he ends up as a cowboy lover, which is like a player, essentially. And so the player is trapped in this false reality with no responsibilities, and they have this view that love and sex are just ways to escape reality or that sex is just proof of manhood. See, a player has no concept that there is no greater love than to lay down your life for a friend. And I'm not just talking about in the context of marriage here because God calls us to lay down our lives for our friends outside of our marriage. That's what community, that's what friendship, that's what the brotherhood, the sisterhood looks like. It looks like living outside yourself and looking into the lives of others and saying, I can be a solution. 
I can I can support that kind of thing. Um, just on a practical note, like in our own home environment, though. Deb and I want to make sure that we are role modeling, modeling to our children what love, healthy love, looks like. And occasionally, um, I probably should do this more often, but at the dinner table, just something really practical, I will just declare my love out for Debbie in front of the children. I just like tell her how much I love her and I'm devoted to her. And on occasions, I've ended up crying, which is no great thing, really. But I'm just like. I want her to know that she has my heart, that I don't take her for granted, and I want my children to know that their parents are absolutely for each other, that they can role model that to their, into their world. It's so easy, though, in life, uh, you know, even in marriage, to just end up as flatmates at times and, and, to, and just, just take each other for granted. But we're actually, whether it's in marriage or in general life, we're called to treasure those around us and to honour, and love looks like something. Love looks like a response. It looks like encouragement. It looks like um, an action. And we're called to fight for that kind of love and lay our lives down for one another. So next, uh, the next phase I want to talk about is the king phase. And so many years later, after the warrior slash lover becomes a king, that is, uh, we step into true leadership and responsibility and this, at this point, we're often guiding and directing uh, lives of others. And this doesn't necessarily mean, though, in the king stage of our lives, that, you, that we may have visible prominence. You may actually not um, become a CEO or some, uh, being up the front, but you still have a role as a king to play, whether it's a little bit more covertly rather than overtly. I just want you to think of the kingpin, if you're into vehicles right now. The kingpin connects the steering with the axle on the wheels of a vehicle. And kingpins, uh, essentially, they're pretty old school, but they can carry much heavier loads than, um, than what usual arrangements for those kind of fittings actually do. And they're used on heavy trucks, so the, king, so the wheel can carry the heavy load. And you'd never know that they are there, but without them, the vehicle would not be fit for purpose. It would not function and be able to carry the weight it's called. So the king may not necessarily be at the highest, or queen may not necessarily be at the highest level of prominence, but they are masters of their assignment. In becoming a king or a queen, it's often a place of convergence. It's where our identity as a beloved son or a daughter, our experiences as a cowboy and as a warrior, our gifts and our talent and the call from God have been in, like working in preparation for our rulership. And it's a place of convergence. And it often happens around the age between, let's just say 35 to 45, around that age in life. It's not defined by age, but in, in our life story, as we've learned and we've worked in the marketplace or around people, by this stage in life, we're actually forming this kind this perspective on life and this status within our um, in our call that is ready it's prepared us for rulership and this may be in the marketplace in schools in government in church ministry it could be in family lives and it's this convergence um, into a place of significance and sometimes providence 
It's an exciting place and it's an exciting time for life. And everyone is actually called to be a king or a queen in life. Everyone is called to rule and reign, to be the head and not the tail. And, and it's all with God. It's all under his covering and under his grace. The, uh, the next uh, cap or hat is actually called the stage of the sage. And I was reflecting back to um, Richie McCaw when he received his cap for playing 100 games for the All Blacks. Does anyone remember that moment? And he was, it was almost like he was knighted by Jock Hobbs, who was another legend, uh, another All Black legend. But this stage is the sage. This is when we've created a legacy in the sphere that we've ruled within that we've actually got experience, we can offer up and, and give encouragement, and we are, we're living in this place of overflow from our lives. We can share our story and our wisdom uh, with other men or women that are perhaps younger than us, and we're guiding them on their journey in life. And so this is the wise counsellor, this is the grandfather, the Papa Smurf or Gandalf, you know, these are the figures that we kind of like can relate to and go, oh yeah, they're the, they're the sage, the Queen, Lynn, perhaps, Peter. You know, there are some incredible sages actually in this church um, that input into different people's lives. And, and you don't actually have to be an, an older person to be a sage. Everyone can encourage someone else. You can be a sage figure if you're in your 20s to someone who's a teenager and say, you know, I went through that. I want to help you. I want to encourage you. I want to impart to you. You can be in your 30s and speak to someone in their 20s who's about to get married and be a voice of encouragement. It does, it's not age dependent, but it's a stage and it's something for us to embrace and say, you know, I'm, I'm a part of that. I have something to offer from my life story into somebody else's world. So just in summary, I just want to ask you, as I've shared over those different stages, what hat represents where you are at in your story. Do you need to know today that you're a beloved son? Are you testing your limits as a cowboy? Are you a warrior or learning to love? See, like David was fashioned to become a great king, the Father is fashioning you to become a great king or queen in his kingdom. And God is using your situation now this is your now is the passport to your future. That is the rite of passage, the way that, that the Father wants to lead you through this season. Maybe it's in transition, maybe you're in the middle of season. That's cool. The Father wants to lead you through this season into this next phase in your life. And He's not going to bring you through this season without doing everything that He can in your heart to prepare you for greatness. That's what it's about. He's building your capacity in the character that he's developing in your life. And we're going to take communion this morning. And we've got the last crown up here this morning, or the last hat. And this was the crown of thorns that Jesus wore on the cross. And I love that Jesus did wear the crown of thorns for us. Because if you remember, Adam was removed from the garden. 
the ground was cursed and weeds and thorns grew up. And he entered into this connection with his reality and this, his reality was toil. He had to fight for his food. He had to fight for his, his, uh, to sustain his life. And the thorns grew up. But Jesus wore the crown of thorns on the cross and he broke the toil over our lives. He broke what had been set up by sin. He disempowered the devil. He disarmed the devil, the Bible even says, so that we could live free from toil. Now, in the context of our discipleship, in the context of the season you're in, God does not want you toiling in this season. He wants you to grow and thrive as a beloved son. He doesn't want you to wake up every day and think, oh, I need to read my Bible today and, you know, to be a good person. And I need to, you know, say a prayer to be a good person. If I do enough good things, then perhaps He'll see me. Perhaps His grace will be good enough for me. Well, I want to tell you, friend, that His grace is more than sufficient for you in your world right now. He wants to call you through. He wants to strengthen you today in this hour. He wore the crown of thorns so that you could wear a crown in life and rule and reign as a king or a queen. I just wonder if you could just stand with me this morning. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We've got communion stations set up down the back and up the front here this morning. And this communion is, is really a reminder, but it's also a partnership. This is a partnership with His blood poured out and His body broken for your life. This is a time to encounter His grace for the season of life you're in. It's a time to say, God, I just want to lay it down for you again. I live in awe of your bigness in my situations. Holy Spirit, I just thank you for every single person in this building this morning. I just thank you for every life, for every season. Lord, I just thank you that we never get too old to be sons and daughters of an incredible father. And for those here here today who just want to say, you know, I just want to take that step into relationship with you. Lord, I know you open your heart towards them. Awesome. So what you could do now is that you could just move from your seat and you can just take communion in your own time. And the band is going to play as that happens. And if you're here today and you're like, wow, I just actually want to connect with Father. I want to walk in relationship with a loving Father. I have I'm, Jesus is not my Savior or my Lord of, the, of my life. If that's you today, I'd love to pray with you. And while others are taking communion this morning, I just want to invite you just to come over to the front, really, just down here. And I'd just love to say a prayer with you and lead you into an awesome relationship with an incredible Father God. So good.